0: Hello, hello. So this is the fifth attempt at uh, Hansel Rodriguez's intro to the podcast. Just going to be honest. Got to be honest. Got to be honest. Um,
1: We wanted to make this right um, with with all, and we got all the sexy, smooth-sounding sound Mm. equipment for this one. So you know, we wanted to make it piff, bang on. Uh, Piff deserves it. Did you say piff? Yeah, I'm bringing it back to um, I guess secondary school. Okay. You ever used that in (laughs) secondary school? No, but hey, man, you do you. I will do me. Thank you. Um, but yeah so this is uh, Hans Rodriguez who is um, a guy I've been working alongside for a number of months Um, he's a directing and editing whiz he's taught me many many a thing Um, yeah so he's uh, directed several short films that have had great acclaim including Horseplay and this was one of the films that uh, the company the competition Straight Eight selected to show at Cannes Film Festival it's awesome yeah it's very very funny we will link a description in the um, show notes but yeah it's like a It's a hilarious short film about a a horse fetish, basically. And if that doesn't persuade you to want to watch it, I don't know what will. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And um, also did a film called The Messenger, which got a select the, the prestigious Norwich Film Festival, amongst many others. And as an editor, he's also edited with big brands like Mercedes, PlayStation and the like. Um, Yeah, he's
0: currently focusing on directing... Uh, Uh, Directing a documentary all about Crazy Golf. Uh, And we're going to be linking the concept trailer in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, Because that honestly is... I I think it's going to be great when it comes out. It's, It's really, really fab. And then he goes into... How he uh, has gone about shooting that, uh, mm-hmm. and also it goes into distribution as well because there's uh, some exciting news that he's had with that. Yeah, um, with a very large award-winning production company. Mm, so that's and he, great so film. he goes into actually how he got in touch with the production company as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, there's so much stuff we go into this podcast that we haven't actually gone into on any other podcast before, like you know how he lives as a filmmaker. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, totally. Like, know,
1: his, yeah, his attitude to stability, like mm. making sure it's a long term game as opposed to something short term where you might potentially burn out. So that was really great. So, yeah, this one's a cracker. He's a fantastic guy. It's a cracker. It's <laughs> Piff. It's, piff. Is it it's piff. not only Piff, it's a fantastic cracker He's as well. He's a whiz.
0: Well. It's Piff. It's cracker. <laughs> Let's do it. the <laughs> intro.
1: Okay, so another episode of uh, Short Films Big Questions. And it's an episode of firsts today because um, we've got two video cameras set up, which is very exciting. Um, a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure for, for us all. Well, not for, Hans, for you, Hansel, but for me and Will to, to pull this off.
0: But um no, i sprung this on me and my hair's not looking great. I had to change my bad. shirt and
2: everything. <laughs> I was where's yeah. my makeup and wardrobe? <laughs> <laughs> is... yeah. <laughs> <Death laughs> <attacks. laughs> um
1: but yeah, it's also a very cool place that we are uh, recording slash filming in. Um we we're we're, um, we're doing this in Hansel's office and it's really, really, really cool. I'm gonna hand you over to Will because we've only got one microphone between us today. Um, to describe The Office and what's so special
0: about it, Will? Thank you, Ian. Um, behind Hansel is an amazing mood board, which is very inspiring to look at. It's got all sorts of films, like um, little pictures and frames from all sorts of films, like Uncut Gems, Jojo Rabbit. you got an... Oh, and... Um, bleh, 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 Korean film. Oh, damn it. Parasite. Parasite. How could you forget I just... <laughs> I had pee. I had pee in my head, and I was like... Ah, is um, it uh, and then in the middle of that board that mood board uh, are nine questions uh, and we've been told there are three main questions and then there are subcategories of questions uh, that are on there and so i'm going to read out the three main questions um, the first of first of which is is it cinematic second is have you made an audience care and the third is: Is it humanist? I think these are very important questions for any storyteller to be asking, especially in the in the visual medium that we're we're all working in. And I will move over to Yayan, hand over the mic to Yian to ask about why Hansel has these um, these questions are on his board.
1: Thank you, William. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, we'll kind of said it there, but yeah, curious as to why you yeah why you picked those questions.
2: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, just to give a bit of context, so you know, I'm so very lucky to have this this space. So, you know, and sort of have it for myself. So, at the beginning of the year, I was like, I'm going to invest some time, you know, make it how I want it, sort of. So it inspires me, kind of reminds me of like why I do the things I do and the kinds of work that I I want to create, uh, you know, ideally. Um, so, you know, I was like, oh, what film posters am I going to put up there? Then I was like, I can't just decide on just like one or two or three or four. So I was like, oh, I can just like have a whole mood board of like every kind of film, TV show that, um, you know, I think some of them are not even TV shows, or you know, sort of just have a mixture of um, forms of art that I find inspirational, and I don't even always like all of the films on there. There are some films that are there for because they remind me of something in particular. Um, that you know, for instance, like Green Books on there. I don't, I don't love it as a film, but I, you know, it tells me something about how you know, it gets its audience and it's trying to do something for a specific audience as if, like, it's different to something like When They See Us, which is a very gritty film about, you know, harsh racial realities. But Green Book is perhaps more more safe, but, you know, sort of, it's about, or um, it perhaps not preach to the converted and, like, you know, for someone who's a little bit racist, maybe they'll be a bit less racist by after watching the film or something like that. So, I mean, all of these films have something like that, which the idea is to kind of Remind me of of I guess a lesson, and hopefully incorporate into into my stuff. Um, so, yeah, with with the questions in the middle, um, again, I just couldn't decide on like one question or two. So, it started with three, and then there was oh, all these little sub questions that came down. Um, but essentially, it's sort of like splitting it into kind of like you know style, substance, and uh, thinking about it in in a wider context, because um, I think. I've been guilty of maybe not interrogating myself with these questions in the past that I now wish I did. Uh, And even things that, you know, I don't necessarily always really consciously ask it, but I think having that kind of awareness is helpful, so um, I don't know to talk about a few of them. So like, is it cinematic? So essentially like a style question, like I really like, it's just the kind of things that I like watching, like, you know, I like watching TV. You know, I like watching stuff online, but the stuff that really gets me going is the stuff that feels, looks um, cinematic. And, it, and yeah, it's more of a feeling rather than just the visual, I feel. So, you know, in terms of the work I want to do, I want to like how can I make this cinematic? How can I make it like a cinematic experience? You know, most of the time I get things I watched on smaller screens, but how can I make be fresh with the visuals? How can I be fresh with the sound effects? All of these things that create the cinematic experience, I think is, it was an important reminder for me. And, and yeah, that kind of freshness, I think, is is quite important because I feel like, especially when you're making short films and you're learning, it's, it's really tempting to do, you know, genre stuff, stuff that's, you know, because, you know, it's, genres are safe and, you know, you can learn from that. You're within a structure, but trying to think about like a gap in, uh, you know, in the wider space, I think it was important, and you know that helps you stand out. It helps you, you know, your work stand out, and helps you progress to other things. Um, and then the other thing, so the second point, have you made an audience care? Who is your audience? What do you want? What feelings do you want to leave them with? Is yeah, just kind of that story thing, because I think you know you can make something that's really cinematic and feels great, but if ultimately no one cares at the end, it's like well, that's kind of pointless. Um, so really having that in mind and who your audience is um, I think is, is really important. And, you know, and then, sorry, the third one is, is it humanist? So, I mean, I guess that might be a bit confusing initially. Um, but what I mean by that is, I mean, humanism is technically like a, like a religion. It's like a sort of like, um, secular, uh, religion where it's just kind of about, uh, respecting like human rights and being critical of like, Sort of universal doctrines, but what, how I interpret it is this idea of being, it's all about the human in things. It's like, you know, there's no like black and white, it's ultimately flawed, complex humans. And that's something that I like when I watch films. So when there's not necessarily like villains, but everything is quite sort of gray and we're very sympathetic to any character. Um, so, you know. And then that fits into kind of the feeling of the piece of like, you know, feeling like authentic, like, you know, is this film, you, I feel like you can watch, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling so no, much. No, so, it's already um, interesting. Yeah. I've got those questions. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, you know, I feel like you can watch films sometimes and they can tick the, the two boxes. Is it cinematic? Is it, you know, they made an audience care, but like, you know, I think you can tell when it comes from a place of like authenticity, you know, that they really thought about, the origins of the story, who's in it, you know, what it represents. Um, And yeah, and that that leads into the the final thing of like, you know, how can it fit in a social context? Because obviously, you know, film is part of culture. Um, Culture feeds into film, film feeds into culture. How can your film fit into the world? How can it be a representation of the world? How can it also help maybe change, you know, not that it's going to change the landscape, but obviously it's part of a culture of films that can, you know, influence things so yeah uh, those are I mean like you know it's all very like I said it's not always like a really conscious thing that I try to do but I mean it is conscious because it's on the board and I'm really talking about questions (laughs) but like often it is a subconscious thing but I thought you know often by sort of expressing unconscious things I feel like it helps you sort of be more confident and I think like a big thing with directors is like you know finding your voice and like what what is your voice and for me this is like the clearest manifestation of me describing my voice like that is my voice I think of like that's how I see the world how I see filmmaking um and it took me a while to get to that point but I think that process of making these questions the process of doing this mood board was was really helpful for me and will hopefully serve me well like going going ahead
1: yeah I also think like this sort of um perspective and these questions and your view on uh filmmaking in terms of your your passion for cinema or making it cinematic is um it is interesting as well because I think it kind of ties into your perspective in in terms of being not quite the Mark Duplassy school of approach in terms of like making things all the time and being um, very proactive in terms of every weekend trying to do as much as possible versus um, I guess being very quite thought out and um, really really thinking about everything carefully and taking your time as much as um and uh, yeah i was just curious as if you would wouldn't mind sharing your thoughts a little bit about that basically like that those two school of thoughts and yeah you're thinking in terms of making things at all costs versus
2: taking your time cool yeah i mean on the one hand like i totally get that you know approach like filmmaking you know it is something like any skill needs to be practiced you know you need to learn your craft and i and uh, yeah, I, there's a version of me that really likes that romantic idea of making a film every weekend and really refining your, your eye and how you see things. Um, but, uh, you know, I, just knowing myself a little bit, like I am a bit of a, a thinker. <laughs> I'm quite a slow thinker. I, I'm not necessarily someone who is is, is totally like, uh, you know, has to be doing things all the time. I, I prefer to to sort of sit back and, and think things through before I commit to them. Because I know, like, you know, to make a film, it's, to make a good film, you have to put so much energy into it. It's like, it's not just like an easy, well, from my experience, it's not like an easy thing that you can just do on a weekend. Like, you know, you can do that, but then, you know, obviously the quality of it might not be... That you, if you do it that way, then you're kind of hoping that you you'll learn as you go and you know you'll have like incremental improvements each time which is, which is totally fair but I think my approach is like I know just because I like I liked academia at school I like thinking I like talking about film I like you know about culture literature whatever I like to sort of think my way through problems and I feel like you know if I could sort of really sort of interrogate my ideas like this I would make smarter decisions to learn quicker and I think You know, there's a difference between making film over a weekend with whatever you had and and making a film over like a year with the best resources that you can source yourself. Um, Obviously, in terms of quality that I think you can practice film, but it's important to practice film with A, the right resources and the right ideas. Because I think ultimately what's important is not just to stick a camera in someone's face, but how and why you stick a camera. In, some, in front of someone's face because that's that's the film, not you just sticking a camera in someone's face like um, and sometimes you know that has, its, has has its caveats like you know while in my head it, would, it it would mean I you know create sort of smarter films that are you know hopefully more kind of in line with what I want to do and that, that's kind of the reason why I didn't actually do filmmaking at university. I didn't want I, I had the option of maybe going to like a film school or like a film like a straight film. Uh, course, I, but I decided to do like an English literature and, and film theory course because I was like, well, I can do that and then kind of do the practical stuff on the side with the resources that I can source myself, which I wouldn't have the limitations of a university's like kit department. Um, but the reason I did that was because I wanted to like go to university to to learn how to think, to learn how to see the world and mature myself mentally and then, uh, you know, start making things and and learn the craft um which which is the plan obviously sometimes it has its limitations in terms of you know on set i won't know every technical aspect i and and i'm now learning to be more confident with the the shooting like actually on set directing because i don't have like tons of experience with that you know i've done my own short films and everything but i don't have the you know the hours the you know the hundreds of hours on on set um which i maybe would have got if i you know did a more specific course in uni or or, you know, wanted to go more down a technical route. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it, my, my approach is to, I personally think the more you kind of think through things, the more you can create better films that are more representative of you uh, that can help progress things further, quicker. But, you know, there's a balance because sometimes you might not produce I think, enough. I think also that the, there's an element of directing that is in the
0: development of the film that mm-hmm. you, you know, if you're making one every weekend, you're not really thinking about the shots, the composition, you know, how we want it to look. And there's so much there's so much of that that you need to learn through development, the casting, the location. If you actually really put all your thought and effort and everything into it, you learn so much by doing that. But then there is this, yeah, obviously that school of thought around, yeah, you do need the technical expertise because you don't want the wool pulled over your eyes as well on the set. So Someone told me like recently, he was like, just try and not make your own films every weekend, but maybe work on someone else's film. Uh, as a gaffer or a spark or whatever and then you get that that way but then in your own films you develop them and all that kind of stuff I was talking to someone else last week and I was like oh, I just want to just make stuff I want to make something this weekend and every time I try and do that I'm like "Ah, oh, but then if we develop this then it's going to be better it's just exactly what you're saying um, but do you, don't you think that you're getting more of a, a director's eye in that respect as well because in the real world <laughs> That's what you've got to do you got to develop the look and the feel and all of that kind of stuff which i guess if you were just making stuff you don't really thinking about that
2: yeah totally you know it's it's that idea of practice um but yeah like um i think this idea of making things like yeah because i feel like i'm sort of scratching creative itches of my sort of the day job um and yeah helping other people on this and their stuff as well is is really Really useful in terms of the technical expertise as well. Like I feel like that's an interesting question because you know, in an ideal world, I think as a director, like you know, you spend six months in like every single department and like you would really like you know know what it's like and you can empathise with every department and really get the best out of it for your films. But it's easier said than done. But for me, I like that I've got the the technical expertise with like the editing, and then at least I can like you know, because I feel like sometimes if you go in as a director, you're sometimes like like, because you're facilitating everyone else, you're like, well, what do I actually do? Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of, you're obviously a hugely important role, but sometimes I, I feel like, you know, maybe to other people you will you can you seem as a sort of conduit, whereas I think to have some sort of confidence in a technical skill, um, but for me is I guess the the editing, for me that helps me feel more competent um, yeah, a lot of good
0: directors come from editing it's
2: yeah yeah and you know i really like editing because it's like um you know while i ultimately want to direct like editing is helps me control all, the, all of these questions as well that i talked about and it helps me really be on the pulse of of story which is what, what i'm most interested in like you know i like visuals i like you know being on set but ultimately i just care about what the what the thing is and what the output is and how that's received and you know how we've told the story, essentially, um, which is, yeah, which is why I come for it through editing.
1: I was going to say as well, like, just because, um, you know, we'll explain this, I'm sure, in the introduction, but we've been doing a lot of work together, and then I think, like, just your technical expertise seems r- really, really high. And then in terms of also, like, your knowledge of cameras, for example, and the frame rates and the da-da-da and the da-da-da and i suppose that all comes into the edit- that all comes into the editing process you're getting a quite a good breadth of understanding of a lot of different departments of the sound of the camera department even of the directing because you can see i guess um, and, and you know you can see what the director is doing a lot of the time so i don't know maybe as an editor you get more of a breadth of understanding of of everything than maybe say you would in if you were a, a gaffer or, or something like that i don't know what, what what are your thoughts on that
2: yeah i mean I do think, yeah, as an editor, because you're dealing with, like, the whole of post-production, like, you know, you get to deal with all of the rushes, you get to see how things are shot, you know, the the bits before and after, like, the direction. Um, and, yeah, it, you can become very critical and you can kind of, you can learn a lot from camera department, sound department, everything that you've said. Uh, and that is super useful, you know, you learn all the technical expertise, what codecs are good, what frame rates, you know, that you need to shoot in. Um Setups that you like, um, and yeah, you you can often do a lot of backseat directing because, as an editor, you have a lot of creative control. Often, the first cut isn't you know a million miles away from the end point, so especially when you're doing something like documentary, you have so much creative control, um, because you, you're crafting the story. Um, obviously, that comes with caveats of like you know, you can it, it's this whole thing of like in your head, then after all that experience, you're like, you know, I've been editing now for, I don't know, five, six years or something. Um, And in my head, I know how I want to do everything. And like now I'm sort of trying to translate that into the real world with more and more of my projects, which, you know, and and that again is like a a learning curve. Obviously what's in your head and what's practically is, you know, speaking is is very different. And it's dealing with human beings and having empathy with different departments is, is hard when you're always it's very easy to sit in your editing chair and be like, oh, well, they should have done that, they should have done that. But then when you're on set, you're like, oh, well, maybe I get why <laughs> they it. did that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but I do think having that understanding is has been very useful for me. But now I feel like I'm at a stage where I'm like, I, you know, I'm like, okay, I've got enough knowledge now from editing and understanding different styles. Like now I need to get those those hours on the clock of, you know, directing and, you know, directing documentaries, directing fictions, which I think you can only then get on set. And, you know, everything feeds into each other. And I do think having that, um, the day job of editing is super useful. And, you know, it's always got my sort of creative juices kind of flowing. And it's also useful to kind of help you be detached from things and, like, knowing how to be more detached from your own projects because you can be then brutal with other people's projects. And, you know, it helps you sort of practice that duality of thinking of like you know caring a lot but also like putting it to one side and being like okay we need to do this this and that also and I think because having lots of different projects on at the same time is is useful um both your like your day projects but passion projects as well not not too many but like that that way I think you can yeah have that kind of healthy level of detachment from projects sometimes and you can kind of see things on a wider wider view both in terms of each, you know, getting the best out of each project, but also what each project is providing you, um, you know, spreading you know, your eggs in many baskets, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. sorry, no, a, no, another waffly um, wide ranging. Do
1: you have any questions on that? I've got, an, um, another question, yeah, but if me. anything, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of thought we'd maybe jump around a little bit here, um, and talk a bit about choosing projects. So, yeah, like, I mean, I guess it does all tie into what we were saying about being selective. But I also know that you have, you know, you, you think very carefully in terms of the future of a short film. And obviously, our podcast is short films, big questions. So we want to talk about why you choose certain subjects, certain stories to be your short films. And I know it all comes into the stories, as the, those questions as well. But yeah, from a, I'm more curious in the business side of why you might pick a story.
2: Yeah, and, you know, all of those sort of, you know, questions there, they are, yeah, also, like, feed into, like, business kind of questions, like, you know, how it would, you know, fit well in the marketplace and do well in the marketplace, because ultimately, if you have a good film, it's going to do better. If you're more aware of what's going on, it's going to do better. Um, But, yeah, I think initially, when I chose projects, I wouldn't really think about that, and I was like, you know, I just like this idea. It's simple, it's easy to do within the resources I have. I can learn from it um and and that's what I did with the first few shorts um did one like sort of you know sitting down talking heads mafia thing when I was really young um that was useful. You know, my friends had a a link to this Italian restaurant, so we could use that as a location space um so that was you know th- that was just logistical thing in uni I just had this simple i was like what's a simple idea uh, that I can do and you know it wouldn't be too complicated again, just people sitting down at a park in
1: which to be thing. fair sorry to interrupt but I was going to say like that is I think yeah important at that stage as well like yeah. I don't know like I guess the more you progress the more you you're thinking about why you know like you know what why is this idea important and special and timely but you know I do think you know that kind of school of thought of making it you know easy and convenient for you as much as possible is also important yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, I was going to say totally. I think, you know, that, that stage, it was all about, like, education and doing things within your means well. Um, but I think as I'm going forward, I'm trying to think a bit more strategically and, like, okay, well, how can I actually, like, you know, progress my career? How can I actually do something that, you know, can be out there in the world and could, you know, make money from as well to kind of, you know, transition into this as a you know proper full-time career path? Like, um, so you know, and again, it's not always a conscious thing. Like I I think short films are are really interesting. Um, as like before I always thought shorts, are you know, just something to add to your portfolio, something to put in festivals. If you get into a good festival, great. You know, the laurels are great. Open more doors, that kind of a thing. Um, but recently I've been kind of doing shorts that like not necessarily consciously to begin with, um, but how kind of show the potential for a larger idea um, or have become longer shorts that I've recently found that there is more of a market for. Um, and that you know you can potentially sell some shorts, which I, I had no idea about before. I thought that shorts are just things that you just do to learn. Um, but if you do, you know, if you have a short that can develop into a feature or that can develop into a series or that it's just like a half an hour short, you know, there's actually loads of buyers for it now. Um, so I think even more so it's, it's worth interrogating your shorts with those questions because I feel like the more, the better answers that you have, um, the better the film will be, the more likely, you know, you could actually make something from it and lead to other work. uh,
1: Yeah, but you, you're sorry to interrupt just quickly on that point. Um, you also talk about like, is it scalable? Like, you know, these sorts of questions, um, you, you mentioned to me before. Can you, yeah, touch a bit on that as well?
2: Yeah, you know, it's like, it's weird. I feel like, you know, sometimes in in the film world, um, we're not really aware of things that happen in the corporate world. Like, I think, like, you know, I sometimes hear my friends who are in the corporate world and they're like, you know, any pitching idea, they're like, you know, the first question is like, will it scale? You know, can you, how can you make this a big company, a big idea, make loads of money from it? And like, you know, I feel like we're just not taught in any of the same kind of, sort of philosophies, which is like, you know, ultimately film is a business. And I think, yeah, having a a short idea. And again, when you're starting out, you know, obviously don't think about that. But like, as you maybe want to be more strategic, I have started to think like, oh yeah, how can this lead to other things? How can this potentially be bigger? Because ultimately to make money in for, you know, you have to think about like where this could end up. They need to fill slots. They need to, you know, it's easier to invest in features. It's easier to invest in series it's easier to invest in longer stuff. So how can you do something that's still good in a sort of a smaller bite, but that can maybe lead to other stuff or could be more representative of other stuff. And yeah, over this last kind of year, uh, yeah, I've learned quite a lot. Um, we've got some quite interesting insights that I previously would have never have thought shorts um, could lead to um, and still kind of in the process of it. Yeah, um, which we're going to get into. <laughs>
0: I I got um, a piece of of feedback on the short I'm working on which is really about what you just said and he said it's like shorts should be about doing something really fucking well uh, in one space or two spaces and not spreading yourself really thinly because I guess one, okay, scalable is it like, yeah, can I get into this festival that festival and things, but then it's also showcasing you as a director and a writer as well and that Almost you're the thing that's being scaled because it's like, can we trust him to do this uh, second unit directing on this and that? You know, it's like if you make something amazing in one space uh, and, you know, you keep it simple, but the story is amazing. And, you know, you put all your resources into just making it look brilliant, sound brilliant, the acting's fine, you know, that it all just comes together really, really well. That that's that kind of matters more to to you as a director because then they're like okay you know because if you try to do something in five six different locations over five different days and you spread yourself really thinly and you pay no one it you know it doesn't work (laughs) generally um but yeah I guess my question was um are you thinking in terms of in terms of scaling and selling your short films but are you more thinking about you as a director and trying to sell yourself
2: yeah, hundred percent. You know, and, and you're so right. Yeah. You are also the thing that, you know, people are investing in and that you want to scale your, your career. And I guess I'm sort of kind of trying to do both, like give a scalable idea so they can invest in the idea, but then also, um, yeah, in, invest in your, the voice, you know, the directing voice and the style and who you are as a filmmaker. Um, and
1: by scalable ideas, just for the listeners, we sort of mean like in that context, Um, like is this does this have capacity to be a TV series or a feature film or you know this sort of thing
2: yeah no totally like so if you have a short that is like you know a nice little story but yeah it could be a TV series it could be a feature and and those are both things that are easier for production companies to to invest in to pitch to to make their own are
0: you um, when you're making these these things the, these scalable projects then have you got someone on board before you even make the short or are you making it and then hoping to pitch it to so and so and such and such production company to turn into a show or
2: yeah I mean so as I say like I've, I've not really done this very much so it's kind of I'm still sort of like discovering this process but like yeah in in the situation we have at the moment we've got uh a short that essentially like do you want me to go into it. Yeah, Probably. please. Yeah. We'd love. I think this is
1: a good opportunity. Just, just tell us about this as a case study. So sure. you know, a
2: case study for how this works. Sure. So, so essentially, we um, started this short. I think a couple of years ago now. Um, so, so it's basically about um, crazy golf and, and the world champion of crazy golf, um, Mark Chapman, and we've uh, followed him uh, in his defence of his world title in Hastings. Uh, and the idea was to make a short film maybe, like, ten minutes that we could submit to festivals, a short, quirky film, you know, for me, um, you know, I I picked... I said I'd want to do this film before I made all those questions, but I guess I was sort of subconsciously answering those questions in my head because it fits kind of the ethos and um, even, like, things like, you know, how does it fit into the wider social context? Like, you know, a film about crazy golf doesn't feel like the most sort of socially empowering film, but, like, you know... it does, because it's like, if you can justify it, then, you know, you can justify it. So, you know, the justification for a film about crazy golf is that, you know, in a world of documentaries, where often documentaries are quite dark and bleak, you know, having an escapist, fun film about crazy golf and a nice little community who, who gets so much out of it in a world that's filled with so much, you know, unpleasant stuff a lot of the time, you know, that has value and that has, you know, that can fit into a wider social context fit into a wider film context um, so yeah anyway so we, we wanted to make this film um, put it into festivals and just see what happens add it to our por- portfolios um, however when we we've, we shot loads more than than we thought we were going to shoot and when we finally started the edit you know it took me like four weeks really to get like a, a v zero not, not even like a v one cut and i was like wow this is like it's like half an hour long like this is a lot longer than i thought it would be um, I don't know h- how much time I'm going to have to finish the edit myself because, you know, to take a month out of work is quite a lot. As I you know, ideally I'd get someone else to edit it because A, it's good to kind of have, you know, directorial distance between the edit because um, I often feel if you're just editing, you're just problem solving all the time and it's hard to kind of have that distance sometimes. Um, so I wanted that. Um, I wanted to work with an editor. I tried some people I knew, but... Um, you know, often the better they are, the, the busier they are. Um, so that was the case. So then I thought, you know, what? Well, maybe what we could do is pitch it to production companies and see if we can, if they like it, they can, you know, it can sort of be a co-production and they can help fund um, the edit. Um, so then we tried to sort of shop it around a few places.
1: So is it, was this your idea or was this like an idea that you, you, somebody suggested to you?
2: I think, I'm not 100% sure if this is right, but I, I was a uh, part of this uh like online sort of club community uh social film thing called the cusp actually which i'd really recommend it's really good um they're like a collective of creatives um uh, which you have to get membership for for like in particular like bame creatives or any kind of underrepresented um social you know, group um and they're they're really great and they have all these little masterclasses uh where you can you know get in the room or, or zoom room with some really quite high art people and we had a session with uh, the commissioner of, of entertainment in the BBC, um, and that was like you know really cool because it wasn't like loads of people in the in the session, and you know it's on Zoom, so sometimes people can be a bit awkward asking questions. But I was like, oh, well, fine, I'll, I'll ask another question then. Um, <laughs> but she she was she was really great. Um, I, I can't remember her name, but um, she basically explained to me how um, pitching to production companies and distributors work. Because uh, basically, we had this idea of, uh, with our short, like, oh, maybe we could sort of scale it up into a series of, you know, niche, niche sports. So um, that was kind of in the back of my mind. And she said, if you want to pitch any idea to a, 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 whether it's a film, a TV show, or a game show, whatever, you know, if, if I just went to the BBC, and I was like, hey, this is my idea, they're not gonna give a shit. Like, you know, they, why would they give you loads of money? Like, you know, for 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 them, it's all about They want to invest in new talent, but it's about risk management. So they would only work with production companies that they have worked with before. So, you know, because they know that they'll get um, a reliable output from them. So the way to do it is to never pitch to like BBC or whatever. I mean, hard enough to do that anyway. Um, Is to pitch your idea to a production company. um, The production company that you like. um, And the, the idea is that hopefully they'll get involved, help create it with you. And then the money will then they'll pitch it to the distributors, and the money will be released from the distributors to the produ- production companies, and then to you to work to work on it and to find your film. So then I was like, I had that in my head, and I was like, oh, that that makes sense. So, you know, I was sort of cold emailing loads of p- different production companies. Um, I made a teaser for for the short, um, which I think was was really useful again, and it really helped me sort of clarify the, you know, the main voice of the film, the main tone. Um, shopped that around got some really positive responses um and yeah like you know some people are like really motivated to uh you know make it into a, a series and to like help us finish the short other people kind of more interested just in the short you mean production companies production companies yeah yeah so you know right now we're in a situation where we're hopefully going to be uh, like you know signing the deal with this one production company who are you know they, they do some really cool stuff so it's, it's really cool to be Uh, to be working with them with their reputation involved um, you know hopefully find a place for it in the market and actually maybe even sell it and somehow make the money back from from the short which would be ideal which is something I we'd never really considered that you could do from a short so you know in an ideal situation we'd a have the short funded um, and be out somewhere and then we now have this link to a production company who hopefully would uh, as we were talking about you know they invest not just in the short but in, in ourselves
0: So just tracking back to you talking about, you know, you're shopping around to all these different production companies. Two questions, I guess, are what are you giving them in the pitch? Is it a treatment? Is it a teaser? Is it some of the raw footage? Is it a scene that you've cut? Are you sending them material beforehand uh, via email, like the treatment? Uh, And are you also pitching yourselves for the project? Um, And is it more business proposal as well about, like, what's the the viability in terms of like the audience and how are you going to sell this and who's going to watch it um if you could take us through that would be amazing i think that's really really useful content
2: yeah i think you know initially when because we had another documentary that we're working on as well like we had this idea of doing this like really like detailed beautiful treatment um and we spent a lot of time on it thinking that you know we have to get it perfect because is like the one chance that we have to speak to these production companies and like you know, it has to be perfect, otherwise they won't love it um and be interested in in you know, want to invest in us. But that process kind of disenfranchised me a little bit because I thought I was like, you know, I, I felt like through conversations with people, you know, that I had after, like, even if they like the project, like I don't know, if 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 they like the project, they like the project. It depends what the project is. Like if it's a very high concept stylistic film that it's more about the style than it is the concept, then investing that time in a beautiful treatment um does make sense because that's a representation of what the film is. But if your film is ultimately like more of a concept driven piece, you can be more concise I think with what you send people um so yeah with with the this project, we wanted to just um well i don't know i i was cut- i was just like yeah you know, I just want to get it out there essentially. Um, so I, I, you know, I spent literally like a couple of days on a on a teaser. Um, luckily, being you know, being an editor, I was able to kind of do that to a decent quality quite quickly because it's a teaser and it's like you know it's like a minute and a half or whatever, so you don't have to spend too much time on that. And then we did a very quick um, treatment that was very succinct. Um, you know, just had the synopsis of the film, um, and yeah, answering again like sort of questions that we talked about like you know why now why ours why, why the medium kind of thing so why now is very important to kind of show that we have an awareness of how this film fits into the current you know marketplace and social context who we are very kind of brief introduction to the team name dropping some of the you know our biggest stuff like you know, going to Cannes and stuff um what we need to, to finish the film and then yeah the commercial like viability and scalability trying very much to kind of empathize um with them like the questions I wanted to answer in my head for someone else is like you know what is it why should I care um how do I know you what do you need and how do I know you're going to deliver which I in my head is like what if I was in their shoes I'd want to know
0: did you adjust that per production company you sent that to
2: uh, no, uh, not not the treatment. I say cold emailing. Um but yeah, you know, you try to tailor it to specific people. You know, you can send it to production companies a uh, sort of generic email, but obviously if you have the name of a person that you know ideally the development producer or a exec producer or producer that you like the work of. Um you know, you say it's the you know, if you really like their, their work, oh I love that, you know, here's this it's kind of in alignment. And sometimes like it's a bit difficult because you can see a production company and say they've made something that is very similar to what you've made. You you know, you can be like, oh, well, you you do that kind of stuff. Like, you know, we could work together and it's all in alignment, but that might actually be the last thing they want to do, because they've done it. It is always useful, obviously, if you have a link with with someone. It doesn't matter how remote, like, you know, I would literally just, like, go through my Facebook list and be like, oh, yeah, that one time we worked with them. Like, oh, I've seen them doing some stuff recently. That's kind of similar. And just see if you can, yeah, just send them a little teaser on on Instagram, on Facebook. And then often that led to a conversation if they liked it. And then then they'd say, oh, you know, maybe you should show that person. And then having that link was was really useful to to get in the room with, you know, some quite high-level people. And I think it's surprising the links that you do have, um, if you're you know willing to put your your stuff out there uh, and not be too too kind of cagey with it. Some people are like really protective over their their you know their ideas. They're like, oh, I don't want anyone to see it. They'll steal my idea, which is just like, well then you know, no one's ever going to see your film. Like you know, I was just quite sort of trigger happy with who I was sending it to. And at the worst, people didn't respond. At the the medium level, they responded and gave some really nice feedback. Um, and at the best case scenario, they, they wanted to get involved.
1: Wicked, yeah, no, I think that's really like, um, I guess useful to, for people to know that they can, the power is in their hands sort of thing. So they can, if worse comes to worse, just cold email and they're probably gonna get some sort of I don't know, engagement, if their they're, if they're work is of a certain standard or, you know, appeals to a production company in, in a certain way. Uh,
0: just to jump in there, Jan, uh, as well, uh, you talked to us earlier about sending a rough cut as well to production companies, like a 60% of the, of the way, almost done cut of the film to these production companies as well. And I was wondering if you could uh, talk about that a bit as well.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, like, so initially the idea of sending a rough cut and like i wouldn't even say it was a rough cut it was like super super rough like i'd call it like a v zero it was like a structure content cut really and this was you know after they'd already liked the teaser after they'd liked the 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 trailer um, and sorry treatment um to kind of show them a, a fuller piece and often we'd have more positive responses from the rough cut than the teaser which for me was quite surprising because it's like the teaser is like a polished thing the rough cut's like totally rough like why would they why would they like it it's like you know it's too rough um but what again i found is like yeah people like coming in early because they you know someone described it's like an embryonic state they, they want to co-parent this film with you and therefore the more involved they are the more potential they can see the more they are willing to give you in order to, to finish it and could hopefully give you more resources. And I found that, you know, even production companies, they, they wouldn't just finish a film and, uh, sell it. They would, they would share a rough cut to distributors as well. So then distributors can help shape it. And ultimately it, it makes more sense of where it's going to sit. So yeah, for me, it w- it was an interesting learning again, to kind of, rather than being protective about your ideas and your work the you know if you're confident in your in your initial ideas and how you've chosen it um sharing that with people earlier while it's sometimes quite scary as as a filmmaker to kind of share your rough workings is often what can lead to you know can lead to a positive outcome like you know it might mean that maybe the final project is a little bit different to how you originally planned but that is ultimately like a you know a compromise that you will have to make for for anything that's going to exist out in the world with a with a platform um it's just better to kind of make that maybe you know at a stage that you're comfortable with so for me like the con, the the rough cut was me putting a skeleton in there me putting my tone in there that I felt like okay this is like I'm confident with this as a foundation if we deviate from that fine but you know at least i've got my foundation in there yeah, which has just been like a really interesting learning for me that I would have n- not thought of at all <laughs> until very recently.
1: And the other thing Will and I wanted to talk about was, I guess, um, I feel like you've got an interesting attitude in that you, um, you, priori- you prioritized stability, I think, throughout your career as an editor. So you've, you've been very proactive, I guess, in making sure that you've, you've got a stable enough income to sort of make this a long-term, to make, I guess, making films, um, yeah, a long-term, I don't know, investment and career path. And I feel like there's there's, there's another school of thought, which is a very make or break, which is sort of like, you know, I saw an interview with actually Martin McDonough and he said that like, he just didn't work for like most of his you know, as I suppose he's a playwright, but not a million miles away from a screenwriter or something like that. But he, he just lived off Universal credit basically, and and just put all his eggs in one basket in terms of trying to be a screenwriter. And I know that a lot of actors, you know, they they work, you know, menial jobs or whatever, and then they're just they're just pursuing their dream at all costs. But I feel like with you, you've gone okay. I want to be. I'm going to be a, an editor. I'm going to freelance editor, and I'm going to get enough income to to live to. You know, live well, but I'm also gonna, and I'm gonna use, you know, that stable income to pursue my dreams. I suppose, yeah, it's a long winded way of saying like, where does that attitude come from? And what do you make of the other kind of school of thought?
2: Yeah, no, I, I find this, you know, really interesting. And I'm always really interested in how other people do it and ultimately, like, how they are able to, like, sustain themselves and, and live a normal life while, you know, being able to kind of progress and, in a field that's quite difficult to to progress and it's a very expensive field to, um, to practice in. Um, but yeah, no, like this idea of, you know, sort of living off universal credit and like, you know, just getting whatever job you can and like, you know, staying up late, writing your dreams screenplay, um, is, is a really nice idea and it's it's really romantic and there are definitely like examples of people who do it successfully, but yeah, if it doesn't work, go your way it, then you're kind of stuck and I don't I don't, I don't sound really risk averse like a boring grandpa but like I, I you know I am a bit grandpa in my in my like lifestyle sometimes like I like sort of comfort and things and just nice evenings in I like, <laughs> like doing nice things you know we're going for a nice walk with the dog and like I love being on on set and like you know on on shoots all the time but you know sometimes it's it's quite an intense lifestyle to kind of do all the time so in my attitude and, you know, I something you know, I give all these like retrospective ideas, but ultimately it's sort of, it's just happened by circumstance. Like I, I always, the way I got into filmmaking was like, you know, I'd film stuff to edit. I edited music videos for myself. Um And then I, during, in between uni, um, like some holidays and stuff, I'd do a bit of editing here and there freelance, just cause it was like a, a skill that I had that I was able to do. It was, it was easier for me to kind of make, you know, more money in the summer than like working in a supermarket for instance but um yeah so editing was just the skill that I had that after uni for me to get a job within the film industry that you know ticked some of my boxes of like being able to be creative being able to work within film being able to have a stable job um was just the the easiest option for me um something that I was good at that yeah that I could progress in um but since then I guess yeah it has sort of crystallized into a into a process that I have become quite comfortable with in terms of like, yeah, you know, with editing, you can, you can earn, you can earn a decent living. um, You can be freelance and you, you can, you know, carve out time for your passion projects. um. So, you know, in theory, you can kind of have it all in terms of, you know, have the comfortable stability of an income, while also being able to have carve out time for your passion projects. You know, that being said, it's, it's, it's definitely not, not always the case. Like as, as any freelancer would know, like, you know, it's this contradiction of like, yeah, I can do whatever I want all the time. But the reality of like, that just not being the case at all, like, you know, you're, you're worried about low periods, you're worried about keeping clients happy, you know, you're always trying to sustain work. So to carve out time for your passion projects can, can sometimes be very, very difficult. Um And so what I found is that, you know, A, you have to, Again, this this fits into me being more selective about the projects I want to do because like to take time out is, is, is a big deal because um, you're often kind of, you know, maybe having a bit less holiday than someone and who's in a full-time job would anyway. Um, so you, you have to make sure it's a good project, worthwhile doing. So um, yeah, I found I had to be very strict with cordoning off time uh, to do projects. So like, you know, even like this this, this latest project, I was like, I'm going to like spend a month just editing it do say no to everything else but I had to start saying no to things like a month earlier because like things would always just like run on um but I, and I think it's so easy for you know I, I've heard like you know previous people on your podcast saying like you know they sort of started their own companies and you know do it that route and I, I admire them because it's like you know to start a company and to push like you know even just being like a videographer and having all of that stuff your are you know your own is like that's a lot to do, you know, it's a lot to grow and like that alone can become totally like all encompassing. And so to keep that a lot, you know, keep, to keep the dream of your passion projects and making time for that, I, I, I'm i so in awe of that because I, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I have the mental capacity to, to, to do that, like even just to do that in the freelance where I have, you know, not as much to do just sort of having a singular freelance role um it is yeah it is very difficult but also ultimately like you do have that control and you know if you're selective with your projects you know I do I do my own pattern projects but I make sure that I am involved with like a couple of others as well in a year so maybe like in a year I'm like doing I don't know two to three like one project as that's my, um, my own or one to two projects that I'm directing one other project two or two or three others that I'm like you know helping in with either editing or like creatively producing or something. And that for me, it, like, you know, it's having that compromise of, um, I don't know. I saw some like shitty TikTok thing the other day of like, uh, I can't remember the exact word, but it was like some sort of Japanese word or of like, that's you know, sums up this perfect compromise between doing what you're good at, what earns you money, um, what fits into like wider society. Um, and yeah, just kind of this idea of like having this sort of balance of, yeah having a sustainable income not like living on the breadline um but also not compromising yourself too much but keeping that dream alive but doing so in a way that's sustainable um is what i'm trying to do and and like i said that comes with the danger of like you just that dream maybe dying or things getting in the way um but you know to to link it into to the team uh, is that you know it helps surrounding yourself with people who are also motivated to make stuff i think if it was just me you know i would you know could things might fall by the wayside like and it's surrounding it's it's worth surrounding yourself with a creative team that are as equally motivated to make stuff in their own time to kind of take time out of their normal day jobs to to kind of help you um keep disciplined with that um, is what i found and what i've been grateful for um but yeah that you know there are many different ways to do it while it's a bit less romantic um hopefully my idea is that for it to be kind of longer term it's very easy to have some sort of existential angst and be like oh but i'm not doing that but i'm not doing that um but i think sort of trying to come to terms of being conscious about your decisions and what you're sacrificing on for me is, is like you know the more at peace you're sorry it's getting really deep now
0: i was going to say that i actually got told um something last year um by a producer who said he'd been in the industry for a long time and he said while you're trying to carve out your career as a director you need to find st- stable income somewhere else because it's so hard but but like also when you're you're editing and you're working on that stuff so you are gaining experience and that's so essential anyway um should we move to the last last question then um been... go for it will oh thanks Ian. um well, it's been absolutely fascinating have you, having you, Hansel. And our last question we should ask all of our guests is, what is your favourite short film? And I guess it could be a documentary in this case. I think we might have sprung this question on Hansel. He's looking at his mood board <laughs> and he's stroking his chin, <laughs> unsure of what to say. And you're not allowed to say one of your own <laughs> short films.
2: Yeah, that, that has stamped me, to be honest. Um because to be honest like I, I i do like short films but the films that stay with me are are, are longer films because you have more time to to invest in the in the characters um but i mean from a fictional film uh one a film that really got me interested in shorts as, as a genre was uh i think it's called like 12 meters or something uh, i think it won an oscar ages ago it's about this guy who would long jump um a very simple storyline i think it was a foreign language film but his I think his like mom was dying or something but as a coping mechanism he wanted to be a really good long jumper but the way that he thought he could get get better is by introducing risk and jumping over like gaps you know gaps in like in a pit or like between buildings initially because you know that adrenaline so i found that was really interesting that was so gripping in such a short amount of time i can't remember the name specifically but i think it was like 12 meters or something
0: okay well let us yeah let us know in the show notes yeah
1: and just as a, a, a an aside, we've 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 only had one mic this session, so there's been a bit of jumping around audio-wise. So so apologies for that. But yeah, um, that was really really great. Will, do you have any last? Um,
0: well I was just gonna say you haven't said your catchphrase yet. This um, I just snuck mine in there, so you need to sneak yours in in a really obvious way now. Oh shit!
1: Fuck! Ah, don't worry, we're pro swearing here at Short Films Big Questions. <laughs> nice yeah but yeah thank you so much Hansel that's been like yeah really really interesting we really appreciate like you know letting us come into your lovely office and uh, yeah apply you with questions so uh, much appreciate
2: it, man yeah thank you very much for having me it's, it's an honour to be to be on this podcast
1: <laughs> nice one